All right, Matthew chapter 6. Praise the Lord. I'll just say quickly how much I appreciate every time, every year, the ladies, the work, the effort, the generosity, all those things. Y'all do a wonderful, wonderful job. And I hope you realize that's sincere, not only from me, but from a lot of other people that notice it as well. I sure appreciate it. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And if you will, I'd like to ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Or Brother Roger might interpret this as a standing ovation. I don't know. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6. Good to be saved, isn't it? Good to be in church. Oh, what a blessing this week to be around these missionaries. I, I wished I could have had more time with some of them, but there's some really quality missionaries here, and I, I've really enjoyed being around them a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And I want to say this before I even read the text. I'm going to give an invitation tonight, Lord willing, a little bit unusual for me. And so I will give an invitation ask you to respond as the Lord leads, and then, of course, Brother Roger will take care of the, the faith promise and all of that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought... For your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient Unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, I sure do appreciate what we've enjoyed this week. And God, I'd sure appreciate it tonight if you'd allow me to be your vessel. And I do pray that you'll take this weak, base, despised thing of naught, this frail creature of dust. And I plead in the name of the Lord Jesus and by your mercy that you would allow the Holy Ghost to do through me what I cannot do. Help your people. Lord, I pray you'd have your way tonight at East River Baptist Church. May you be glorified. May the will of God be accomplished. May the saints get the help they need. May Jesus Christ be preeminent. May the Holy Spirit have liberty. May the Word of God have free course. And when it's all said and done, I pray, God, that uh, as we leave here tonight, you'll look to your Son and say, that was good. I pray you'd be pleased. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to preach a question tonight, and the question is this. What are you worried about? 
You ever had anybody ask you that? What in the world are you worried about? Or why are you so worried? Or what? Maybe you've asked yourself that question. What am I worrying about? Is it amazing how many times we worry about things that are completely out of our control? As if worrying is going to make Biden change his mind. <laughs> so the question is, what are you worried about? And it's more profound than you think when I ask that question. This is a passage, I think, about worrying. It has a lot to do with the subject of worry. I was shocked when I looked up the word worry one time years ago and discovered that the dictionary said it meant to choke or to strangle. It also means fret or anxiety. And uh, it means a lot of different things, but I believe I can help you with a biblical understanding of what it means tonight. And this passage has a lot to say about it. Notice in verse 25, it says, take no thought. In verse 27, it says, by taking thought. Verse 28, why take ye thought? Verse 31, take no thought. Verse 34, take therefore no thought. This is a passage about what we call or what we sometimes call Worrying. Now, maybe I should say this. There's a lot of different missionaries here. Some people would immediately respond as I go to Matthew chapter 6 and say, Brother Ron, that's a tribulation context. That's a Jewish context. And, and okay, if it is, I'll just say this. If Jesus is telling them not to worry, we sure ought not to worry. <laughs> if you're not supposed to worry in the tribulation, we sure enough ought to just get rid of the worrying. That being said... Um, I understand the doctrinal Jewish context, but listen, there's a deep or a devotional, a spiritual, a very practical application that I think could help us tonight that's very relevant for 2021. Even among independent King James fundamental Bible-believing Baptists, we are living in a nation, and some of us as guilty as the rest, of stress and tension and anxiety and worry and fretting and it's destroying our joy, and it's destroying our health. We're a nation, honestly, of chronic warriors. And I hope there's nobody like that tonight, but I'm going to look at it in a little bit different light before we get through. The word thought, where it says, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought, it's like the word, very the root word the same, the same background of the word, is the same word as careful in Philippians chapter 4, 6, where Paul said, be careful for nothing, which means full of care. Don't be full of care, Paul says, about anything. But in everything, here's what Paul says, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This same word is found in Luke chapter 10. I'd like for you to look at this one. Turn over to Luke chapter 10. We'll go back to Matthew in just a moment. I realize that you're very familiar with this material. But look at Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Jesus says... In Luke chapter 10 and verse 41, And Jesus answered and said unto her, (laughs) Have you ever read the times where Jesus called somebody's name twice? It's not a good thing. (laughs) He said, Martha, Martha. That's, That's sort of the way I read it anyway. Martha, Martha, thou art what? 
careful. That's what Paul said you're not supposed to be. He said you ought not to be careful about anything. He said, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I think maybe we understand this story too well. I think we know it so well that we forget when we first started reading this passage before we got any insight or light or understood the Bible at all, we probably would have been on Martha's side. I mean, she's in there, she's preparing the meal for all the missionaries. (laughs) She's in there getting ready for the big Wednesday or the the Thursday night around the supper or Thursday night everybody's going to be coming. That's a lot of work. And there's a side of us that would tend to go and say, you know what, hey, Martha's right. Mary ought to get in there and help out. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? You know the story, so I'll just get to the point, and it's going to, I hope you'll bear with me tonight to try to get back to Matthew chapter 6 and show you something a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more clear than I'd ever seen it before until actually this afternoon. But in this passage, Martha's frustrated and Mary's focused. Martha is talking, Mary is listening. Martha is stressed while Mary is blessed. Martha is maybe performing while Martha is, or Mary is worshiping. Martha's troubled, Mary's peaceful. Martha's consumed with Mary. Mary's consumed with Jesus. Martha is stewing in the Savior's face and Mary is sitting at the Savior's feet. Martha is murmuring and Mary is studying to be quiet. Martha has a mean, quivering spirit. Mary has a meek, quiet spirit. I think we have realized after we look at this passage, Mary's right. As much as we want to defend Martha, Jesus says Mary has chosen that good part. There's no way around it. He commends Mary in this situation. And so there's plenty of Scripture to confirm what we see in Matthew chapter 6, that that there's application for today in a time where there are more worriers and pessimists and depressed people and discontented people and frustrated people and anxious people than I think there's ever been. I just got through preaching a, a series of sermons at Cornerstone called In Bondage to Lies. And I think a lot of American Christians are in bondage to what they believe is important or what they believe is more important than some things that are really important. And so Jesus says to not worry, don't be full of care. And again, that word worry means to fret, but there's really, go back to Matthew chapter 6, there's really a more clear definition. Listen, you can go back and study this if you want to. I, I love to study words. I love the origin of words. I'm not making this up to, in, to make up a sermon, okay? I'm telling you, if you'll do your word study on this thing, worry, it does mean to fret, but it also means to be strangled. And the best definition is it means to be divided. It means to be divided. I want you to notice, in Matthew chapter 6, we started out in verse 24, no man can serve two masters, but if we'll back up just a little, the Bible says in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye, if therefore thine eye be what? Single, not divided. If thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of 
light. Then you come to verse 24 where it says no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. What what I think God is trying to help us to see in this passage, especially in 2021, is that we bring a lot of trouble into our lives. We bring a lot of stress and fretting and worry and anxiety when we separate our lives into the sacred and the secular, into the spiritual and the material, into the eternal and the temporal. We divide our lives into this is God's and this is mine. And we therefore become divided. We become strangled trying to serve two masters, which leads to a lot of worry and a lot of stress. The attitude is Sunday is God's, Friday is mine. The tithe is God's, the rest is mine. God tells me what to wear to church, I'll wear what I want to on Saturday. This is my church music, this is my truck music. Now, now you know that what I just said is an illustration of what he's talking about here. It's all God's if we get it right. And, and, and you can't serve two masters. It's an impossibility. When the Lord first put this message on my heart years ago when I preached it at Cornerstone, I was going to preach from Matthew chapter 6. I was going to preach a message on what I thought the passage was teaching, and, and, and it was after I prepared the message that God had wore me out and helped me to see what it really meant. But when I first started preparing this message, I thought, we don't have a lot of worriers at Cornerstone. I don't think we have a lot of real worriers. But when I think worry, I think of nervous breakdown kind of worry, like my mom. My mom was a worry wart. I don't say that to make light of my mom. Bless her heart. She grew up with a drunk for a husband who beat her profusely. I mean with his fist until she was bleeding and, and, and bruised. And, and it was pitiful what he did to her. And then some of my older brothers, what they did to her after my dad died by going out. My brother came in one time at 3 o'clock in the morning and some guys had taken brass knucks and beat him to pulp, broke all kinds of bones in his face. My brother would go out and tell mom he'd be back at 10 and, and he wouldn't get in until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I've seen my mom sitting on the side of a couch. She died when I was 18. I've seen her sitting on a couch. And if you could just hear a faint siren miles away, she'd just start trembling. That's terrible. Probably what caused the cancer. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. But she was that kind of worrier. I'm not talking about that kind of worry tonight. What I'm talking about tonight is being overly concerned about the wrong thing. Being overly concerned about... Is that what Jesus is telling them in Matthew 6? It's not that those things are bad things. They have become a priority. Thus, they have become ruler and master in their lives. He's talking about overly concerned about the wrong things which leads to what we call worry, stress, frustration, tension. But I say it leads to distraction and division which is what he's teaching in the passage. Is is this kind of worry a lack of faith? He says in verse 30, he says at the end of the verse, O ye of little faith. I've got to be careful here because I I will tend to carry this message too far. There is a certain amount of personal responsibility that we must maintain. America is becoming a very irresponsible country. 
We have an entitlement mentality. And you have men now sitting in Baptist churches, sadly to say, who would rather make more money from the government sitting at home not working to make less money than going out working. You need to go out and work. It's not the government's job to take care of you. By the way, it's not the government's job to take care of your children. I'm simply saying to you, I want to be careful here. There is a certain amount of personal responsibility that we must maintain, but we also must balance that with the right kind of faith and allow faith to trump everything else. And especially prioritizing things. George Mueller said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Vance Havner said worries like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Let me ask you a question. Should God's people work and plan to provide food, clothes, and shelter? Obviously. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to... Be good stewards of our incomes and so on. There's plenty of Bible to prove that. But what Jesus is teaching here, and I would love to get across something that I've never taught before in this message until tonight, if I can get to it, is that he's teaching against a serious imbalance of priorities, which means too concerned about the physical and not concerned enough about the spiritual. It's not that you shouldn't be responsible. It's that we become consumed with the things that are much less important than the things we ought to be consumed with. And while we might say the way we gauge that is by which one takes the most money and the most time, I'm telling you what the Lord is pointing out is which one occupies your mind. I'll remind you what I know you already know, but mark it down, get it ingrained in your heart. All of you need to get this if you haven't got this figured out yet. There is a great battle in this universe. And the battle is between God and Satan. I promise you this is the reality of what we're facing in this life. In this universe, God and the devil are enemies. (laughs) Satan is our adversary. Amen. And there is this great war taking place and there is a battle for a a piece of property. The devil wants control of it. God wants control of it. And it's called your mind. It's called your heart. The devil knows and God knows that if we can control the mind, we can control everything else. And what occupies the mind and the heart will determine so much more in your life. Now, it's common knowledge that worry and stress will break down your resistance and lead to sickness and disease. But what I would like to suggest even more serious than that, and obviously Brother Clark and others can teach you about all of these dangerous physical uh, results and consequences of stress and worry and all those kind of things. But even more serious than that is being overly concerned about physical things which will break down your spiritual resistance. And it'll rob you of your joy. It'll rob you of your zeal. It'll rob you of your passion. Why? Because it will force you to leave your first love. And that's what I want to get to in just a moment. Listen, I get in trouble because I stress this so much, even at Cornerstone. I don't, nobody's going to convince me otherwise. The Lord will have to show me. But nobody can convince me that when Moses spent that time alone with the Lord on Mount Sinai, that he was checking his phone every five minutes. 
or seeing who was playing on Sunday. Please don't misunderstand this illustration. When I read about Moses on Mount Sinai, when I read about Jacob wrestling with God all alone and Enoch walking with God and the glory filling the temple and and Paul spending three years in Arabia with God, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Remember that? There's something about a sacredness to our alone time with God that all this other stuff is robbing us of. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an imbalance of priorities. And, and the thing amazing to me in this passage is Jesus basically uses two things to teach them that they've got the wrong kind of priorities. Food and clothes. Am I right? In the passage, there's two things that he teaches in order to illustrate that they have an imbalance of priorities, that they're consumed with the wrong things, that they're preoccupied with the wrong things, therefore they're divided, and, and, and you've you got two masters when you can only have one, and he's talking about food and clothes as the illustration. And so I wonder if we look in our lives and in our heart at our attitude about clothes or Bible reading, eating out or a prayer meeting, Snacks or family devotion? Shopping or soul winning? I wonder if it would tell us that we maybe are more consumed with things that mean too much to us. Not that any of those things are wrong until they get way, way out of balance. So the Bible says, fret not. Let not your heart be troubled. I would have you without carefulness. Let me give you a few quick facts before I just give you a quick illustration of what I want to show you tonight. Number one, in this passage, verse 27, worrying doesn't change anything. The Bible says in verse 27, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Worrying doesn't change one thing other than your peace and your joy. Somebody wrote, all the water in the world, however hard it tried, could never, never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the hardships of this world might wear you pretty thin, but they won't hurt you one least bit unless you let them in. And the point is, they do come in. Secondly, worrying tells God that you care about the wrong things. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I say, and you take no thought for your life. What shall you eat or what you shall drink? Or yet for your body, what you shall put on? I'm sorry, but I do believe that as I watch Americans, and especially when I go to youth camp, we have a youth camp every year. We host a youth camp. We have about five, six churches come to that youth camp. And I'm going to be honest with you, more of them are interested in Mountain Dew and coffee than they are the, Sunday, the, the evening service. There is, Let's face it, there's a passion in us, and you can see what people are passionate about. There's a love, there's a desire, there's a hunger, there's a thirst, there's a passion. And the question is, what are we more passionate about? And I believe that the things that we may be more passionate about physically, which would not necessarily be wrong until they become Lord and Master and control us. Now, in Matthew 10, verse 31, here's what the Lord says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You know what Orion does? It it contradicts God's value system. Let me illustrate it to you this way. 
One of the reasons I get frustrated with all of the technology and all of the stuff in this world, I think it destroys relationships. Now, I'm not inside your home, but if I go to a restaurant and watch a man, wife, and two or three kids come in, they, not, they don't talk to each other. Now, if it, interrupts with your, if it interrupts your relationship with your family, is it possible it interrupts your family, your relationship with your Savior? And, and I, I'm not just talking about the cell phone. I'm talking about how this stuff begins to preoccupy our minds. Worry, preoccupation, being divided by these things, sort of marks us as being like lost people. Look at verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The Lord saying, you're my people, and you're seeking the same things that the lost people are seeking. You're as excited and as passionate about the same things they are. One man said, why pray when you can worry? (laughs) Another said, worry is applied atheism. That's the wrong kind of worry. I believe some people are more excited about a sale than they are about souls. I believe they're more excited about a new rest. You know what I've noticed when, when coronavirus hit? People were not upset about a lot of things that I thought they should have been upset about. They're upset about the restaurants closing. That bothered people more than just about anything else. It wasn't that we're losing our liberty. It's that you've closed my restaurant. Now I've got to cook the meal. And, and, you, and you, you've closed the schools and now I've got to take care of my kids. That's what I noticed with this. The things that should have bothered us didn't. I really do believe Americans are more and more like cattle every single day. Give me an open restaurant, give me a check, and I don't care about anything else. It is amazing how passive we've become. Now, before I... I really want to get... I want this message to be a short message... If you have followed me thus far, if you agree with me that maybe we've got an imbalance of priorities, we've got a little bit too much passion for some things and not enough for others, that maybe the physical and the tangible have too much control of our mind and our heart, if you agree with that, hold on for just a second. I'll show you what I think is the real problem that the Lord reminds me of, and especially this afternoon. But first of all, the question is, what do we do about it? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, the first thing I would say that we need to do about it, verse 24, no man can serve two masters. Uh, Why not not just an all-out surrender and give it all to God again? Do y'all believe believe the best among us drift, slide, I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. That, that we get cold and calloused and um, love waxes cold. Do you believe that? What steals that love? What, what, what has our love? If our love, to, if we lose, if we leave our first love, if we, if we, if we get cold on God, if we get sort of just mechanical in prayer and, and, and the Bible just becomes a book. If that happens, why did it happen is my question. How did that happen to us? And I think surely, I hate to use this illustration, especially on Brother Lee's 21st anniversary, is it possible that your love for your wife gets a little stale every now and then? 
Maybe some of you are looking at me like, like yours never has. Man, give me the secret to that. I, what I'm saying is my wife doesn't love me as much as she used to. I'm not, I love her as much as I ever did. She's probably watching tonight too. I probably might just stay an extra week now. I believe it happens in a relationship. How do you fix that thing? It takes a decision. It, it, you have to make up your mind. You have to resolve. You have to surrender. If you'll give it all to God, every now and then you just need to remind yourself, you, need to, you just need to renew your... your, your <laughs> I just go to God and say, God, I've got to start all over. This is all yours. You know, I was kidding, I was kidding y'all about uh, these pickup trucks. I, man, I have, I have climbed the ladder this week. Today I got to ride in Brother Clark's truck. And I'm going to tell you something, Brother Ed, you don't even have a truck. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have quoted you, Brother. I'm sorry. I should <laughs> I've been working on that all day long, folks. Give me a break. But, but I, you stop and think about this tonight. <laughs> Brother Lauren, what, what would bother you tonight the most if, if a tree fell on your truck or his truck? Don't answer that out loud. <laughs> what, what, would answer, what would bother you most tonight, Brother Clark, if, if somebody stole your boat or Brother Roger's boat? <laughs> Come on, you, you, you know good way. Well. Somebody steals your neighbor's truck. You say, well, I hate that. That's, that's really bad. And you, you probably won't lose a bit of sleep over it. Right? But what if it's your truck? You're going to be ranting and raving and having a fit. So what you need to be able to do is if you get up in the morning and somebody stole your truck, you just say, Lord, somebody stole your truck. (laughs) Shouldn't it be that way? If it's all his, why are we worried about it? Surrender. I'm talking about just giving it all to Him again. And, and you're trying to be a good steward, but there's some things that's out of your control, and then you won't stress and worry about it, and you put it back under His control, so to speak. There has to come some kind of total surrender. I really don't think we understand when Paul said that he was crucified to the world, and the world was crucified to him. It's one thing to say, I am crucified with Christ, but is the world crucified to me? How much of a grip does it still have on my heart? And the second thing, verse 33, not only surrender, but verse 33 says seek. Seek. And then, I guess i just put it this way. It's sort of like if you walk in, the, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You don't say, I'm not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, therefore I'll walk in the Spirit. No, you walk in the Spirit and then you walk... Well, that's sort of like this works. If you and I would get busy seeking the right things, those other things would just sort of find their right place. They wouldn't consume us. And the third thing, not only, not only surrender and seek, but just see. And, and, and the only reason I'm, I'm using that word, obviously, is for alliteration, but it, it says in verse, it says in verse uh, uh, 26, Behold, and it says in verse 28, and why take you thought from it? Consider, 
I think we need to sort of see again what God says in this passage is, have I not taken good care of you? Has God been good to us? See, I think a lot of our stress, worry, fret, anxiety, etc., and a lot of the division in our lives is we, we fuss more about what we don't have than being thankful for what we do have. I think an attitude of gratitude would fix a lot of our problems if we'd be thankful. Now, I want you to put your finger right here and turn to the book of Jonah. And I'm almost through. Turn to the book of Jonah. And I want to illustrate this, and then I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 6, and I'll be through. This is what I consider the illustration of everything I've said tonight. And it's, and it's so common in Bible-believing churches. I know your pastor's probably taught on this so many times, and others have taught on this so many times. And so I'll just be real quick. As a matter of fact, we're going to start with Jonah chapter 4. Look at Jonah chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. What's he displeased about? Chapter 3, verse 10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Nineveh repented and got right, and Jonah's upset about it. A world-renowned evangelist gets results and is upset about it. Right? And then in verse 2, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, uh, and great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Imagine the greatest revival according to some that ever took place, and the evangelist wants to die. Why does he want to die? Why did Moses want to die when he wanted to die? Why did Elijah want to die? Did you go, ever go through your Bible and notice some men that wanted to die that were considered some of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11? They lost their focus. They got something out of balance in their priorities. In verse 4, Verse 4, I'm in Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it until the, uh, in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. A national revival and he's angry and a gourd and he's glad. I don't even like the word gourd. I, have you ever just stopped and said that word about three times? It even sounds ugly, gourd. What in the world is a gourd? I've seen the gourds like Jonah saw. All I know is this. I understand now why that, why that whale spit him, vomited him out. He made him sick. Verse 7. But God prepared... A virus. A crash. A depression. God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. Listen, God's got a worm for our gourd. Verse 8. 
And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die. This guy's got trouble. And said, it is better for me to die than to live. I guess we would call this circumstantial joy. Up and down, hot and cold, in and out. No consistency. What's this all about? Go back to chapter 1. You see, I think when you get to chapter 4, you better understand chapter 1. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Arise, go. That almost sounds like a great commission, doesn't it? That great city and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It's not optional. There's an urgency. Go. Because this, this, this closed country called Nineveh is now open. Go. I remember when Germany opened. I remember when Romania opened. I remember when some Ukraine and Bulgaria... I remember when some countries over my 42 years of ministry became open. And guess who was the first ones there? The cults. Every time. Why? Because Baptists have too many gourds. Go back to Matthew chapter 6 and I'm through. There are things we love too much. By the way, finally Jonah gets there and sees God do a great work. I wonder what we might see if we'd finally... Get there. But, but, but unlike any other time when I've preached this, this afternoon, I'm looking at this passage, and I come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. And it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. And it jumped out off the pages at me. My problem, my problem, it would be easy for me to say is that there's too many things that pull and that, 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 that divide. But the problem is that we love some of those things. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot love two masters. Because whatever you love will be like hate to the other. Which is why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to hate your mama. And you know he didn't mean despise and loathe your mama. He meant compared to your love for him. You've got to love your mama a whole lot less. And I'm wondering what we love the most. Because when the love factor gets fixed, I preach a sermon at my church, the one thing that would fix everything, if I loved him like I ought to, it'd fix everything. And I, I do think it's something we battle. And I think it divides us and it divides our loyalty and it divides our heart. It divides our passion It divide, and it divides and it divides until we don't enjoy the Christian life because we're being choked and strangled. And so I thought what an invitation tonight would be if I could encourage you, and I know some of you might not come down here and I don't want you to feel any pressure from me, but wouldn't it be wonderful before you give your faith promise tonight if you would just resolve to rekindle your love for Jesus Christ. My challenge to East River tonight is that we're going to have someone come and play the piano. 
And I'd encourage you to just get in this altar and say, Lord, I'd, I'd, like, to hear, I'd like for you to consider doing this. I do this at my church. Just get in this altar and say, Lord, I just want to tell you how much I love you. Or, Lord, I've got to be honest. I don't love you like I ought to. Would you just obey the Lord tonight? As we stand, as Cindy comes, you do whatever the Lord tells you to do. Father, I need to be reminded of what I've preached tonight. Lord, as, as preachers, we can fall in love with meetings. We can fall in love with some things that are big in our eyes that might distract us or divide us. God, there should be no greater love in my heart tonight than my love for the Lord Jesus. I pray you'd help me to love you like I ought to. Lord, I'm so blessed by this church and their faithfulness and their servant's heart. But Maybe there's some in here tonight that realize that their love for you has gotten a little cold, a little stale. I pray tonight that we would resolve to love you more. Would you have your way in the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.